as we see in Psalm 103, looking at it, it simply says that it is a psalm of David. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Gratitude is a common courtesy. We raise our children to say please and thank you. We teach them to do that. Our two-year-old granddaughter Iris now will just kind of spontaneously say thank you. It doesn't sound like thank you, of course, but she's saying thank you. And we teach her that as a courtesy. But our, our thanks given to God, our gratitude to God is not simply a courtesy. It is an act of worship. It's a recognition of a right understanding of who he is and our relationship to him. We see in scripture that ingratitude is, is actually a terrible sin. Ingratitude is driven by pride and love of self and entitlement. It's built within us because of the rebellion within us to be ungrateful, to treat everything that we receive, or many things at least, as our due, as, as simply what we deserve. We try and grow out of that, and, and to some degree we do, but we struggle with it all of our lives. Well, David recognized that. He recognized it with him, within himself. 
And so he calls upon his own heart. He, he talks to himself. He speaks to himself. And reminds himself to bless the Lord. This psalm is, is given to us in three sections. There is a, a brief opening to our own hearts to bless the Lord from the depths of our being. There's a second section, which is the bulk of the psalm, which details the blessings God has given us. And then there is a closing section, which returns to this command to bless. So we'll take a look at it a, a section at a time. The first two verses contain this repeating refrain, bless the Lord, O my soul. And I could think of at least two songs, two choruses that come out of that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And there's another one that I could remember up till the moment I said I could remember it, and I can't remember it anymore, you might. This phrase is repeated several times in the psalm. Now, when God blesses us, he's giving to us. We even saw in Hebrews, you remember Hebrews? One of these days we'll have to go through Hebrews. We even saw in Hebrews that when, when the story of Abraham and Melchizedek is, is told in Hebrews 7, it's the greater who blesses the lesser. And that's because blessing has to do with giving. It has to do with enriching. Well, we can't enrich God. We can't give to God. We can't put anything in his hands he doesn't already have. So what does it mean for us to bless the Lord? It means to acknowledge him as the source of every blessing. To praise the Lord, to worship the Lord, means to acknowledge him in all of his greatness and all of his power, all of his wonder. I, I know some of you fairly well. I know some of you just barely a little, but I, I know something that's true of absolutely every one of you. You all woke up this morning. Did you, did you wake up this morning because through your own efforts and through the strength of your own vitality, you kept yourself alive at night? Or because the Lord sustained you as you slept and he gave you rest? We, we bless the Lord by giving him the credit and the glory for everything that he has done for us. Now David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. So he's using the word soul to refer to his entire being. He's not saying, get up in the morning and say a recited prayer that goes by so quick you don't, you don't pause to even taste the words. He, he's not saying, just give a quick nod to God. He's saying, my soul... Be grateful from the depth of your being. When Jesus is answering the question, what is the greatest commandment? He, he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That is, with everything that you are. So, oh, so bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my mind, O oh my strength, O oh my heart. Bless the Lord with my mouth. Bless the Lord with my hands. Bless the Lord with my emotions. Bless the Lord with my will. And he says in verse 2, forget not all his benefits. And then he lays out those benefits, and we're going to just move through them quickly. There, there are multiple sermons here. We're not going to do multiple sermons here. 
But there, before we look at them, there's two things that I want you to keep in mind as we look at these benefits. The first thing is that they can't be subdivided. We can't say God gives these to those people and these to those people. They come as a unit. They are either all given or none of them are given. The second thing is that these are not the general blessings, the common grace we would call it, that God gives to all. There are billions of people on the planet who are waking up today because they were sustained by the Lord, who refuse to acknowledge him, who are in open rebellion against him, who deny his name, who worship other gods or claim to worship no gods, but he has sustained them. He has sent the rain and the sun on them. He feeds them. He provides for them. He continues to maintain their lives even though they're in rebellion. This isn't talking about them. This is talking about his people. You'll see that as we get into it. But more than just talking about his people, I think we're actually seeing a definition of what it means to be his people. And in our time, of course, a definition of what it means to be a Christian. What are these benefits? Well, he begins with forgiveness. He forgives all your iniquity. Our sins are taken away by the death of Jesus. We're forgiven by his blood. He washes us clean of all filth and corruption. Also in verse 3, he heals all of our diseases. This is not speaking of physical healing. Even Jesus did not heal all of the diseases of a person. Every person Jesus healed died of something else. In fact, every person Jesus raised from the dead died all over again. So this isn't speaking simply of physical healing. This is speaking of the spiritual healing of the new covenant where we receive a new heart a living spirit where we receive a mind that can be renewed, where we have a restored relationship with our God. Now, is physical healing provided for in the atonement? Absolutely, yes. And in the day your body dies and then is resurrected, your healing will be complete. But in the meantime, all of these things have their challenges and have their limits. I'll talk about that a little bit at the end. In verse 4, we see that he redeems us. He redeems your life from the pit. See, Jesus didn't simply die to take away your sins. He died to take away your death, which is the penalty for your sins. He didn't merely bear your cross. He occupied your grave. We don't often think about this because all of us are going to die. We know that. All of us, from the youngest to the oldest, our days are limited. What we don't often think about is that at the moment of death, we are, we are divided amongst ourselves, aren't we? Our physical body goes into a grave while our souls, our spirits, go to be with the Lord. In the, in the sense that you are your awareness, that you are your thinking, that you are the living thing within you, and not just your body, I can say this, you will never see the grave. Your body will. You won't. Jesus occupied your grave. You never will. Your body will die, but you will not die. 
you will go to be with him. And then he will raise your body from the dead. The body that is buried is the body that will be raised. How old will you be when you're raised? I don't know. How tall will you be? Probably about as tall as you are now. Sorry. Will you look like you? Yeah. But you'll look like you unstained by sin. Will we recognize each other instantly? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe the effect of sin on me has been so great that when you see me in heaven unstained by sin, you won't even recognize me because the transformation has been that great. And then we get to meet properly. I don't know. Jesus redeemed us. We see also in verse 4 that he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. A crown is a symbol. The Queen of England has a crown. Linda and I were in London several years ago. We went to the, the tower and we went to the, uh, the place where the, 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 the royal jewels are there in the tower. You go down, you go through a security thing, and they're just kind of out. They're just kind of on a, a shelf covered up with a glass thing, and they're used. If she does something, they come and take it. And here's her crown. It looks really cool kind of when she's in the carriage going by. And when you're standing close, you think it's really gaudy. It's like they went to Home Depot or, or, I'm sorry, Hobby Lobby and just bought a bunch of grandma jewelry and just kind of, it's not grandma jewelry. I mean, it's, I mean, it's all diamonds and stuff, but it just, it's, it's not very delicate looking, but it's just a symbol. The president of the United States has a seal. That's his symbol of authority. It's a symbol of his power. Well, you as a Christian are crowned not with just a symbol, but with the reality of the steadfast love of God. We see this word steadfast love four times in the psalm. It's the Hebrew word chesed, or hesed if you just want to say that. It's C-H-E-S-E-D, chesed. And it, it means so much more than love. It means steadfast love, mercy, faithfulness, affection, tenderness, devotion, kindness, favor, affection, desire. And it's mainly used of God in the Old Testament. It means, uh, many of you will, will know the Greek word agape. That, that was a big word back in the 70s and 80s. Agape was a huge thing. And then it kind of, you know, it's a Greek word. It's not an English word. Well, chesed in the Old Testament ha has far more meaning than agape does in the New Testament. It encompasses far more. He has crowned you with love, mercy, faithfulness, affection, tenderness, devotion, kindness, favor. You haven't received just the symbol of his steadfast love. You've received his love itself. If we could see with spiritual eyes, maybe we would look around and we would see these, these crowns of all of this on one another's heads. In verse 5, we see he satisfies us with good so that our, our youth is renewed like the eagles. Youth here is not that passing season that we all have until we're 20 or 25. Youth here is not a second chance at life, a sort of time machine where we get to go back and live it all over again to see if we'll do better next time. Youth here is life in its fullness, abundant life, eternal life, endless life. And it's the goodness of God that grants us that sort of life. So that as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, even while our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 6 speaks about vindication. 
It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. We have to remember the context of Psalm 103. The oppressed here are not those who suffer simply because they suffer. The oppressed here are those who suffer because they are people of God and they belong to Him. This is kind of like that beatitude where Jesus says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when men revile you and say all kinds of evil about you for my sake. This is that sort of suffering. And David emphasizes, in a kind way, the justice of God, the vengeance of God. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Paul unpacks that a little bit more in 2 Thessalonians when he says that God will afflict those who afflict us and that he will take vengeance on them. And the Lord says in Deuteronomy and also in Romans and in Hebrews, vengeance is mine, I will repay. What this says is because you have been forgiven, you have been healed, you've been redeemed, you've been crowned with steadfast love and mercy, you've been given eternal life, you've been made a child of God, he is jealous for you and he is protective of his children. And while we suffer now, while we deal with oppression now, and while we deal with persecution now, what we have in the United States is nothing compared to what's happening overseas, but it's ramping up in the United States more and more. Every bit of it angers him because we, his children, are being harmed. We see in verses 7 and 12 the revelation of who God is. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now Romans 1 says that those who deny God are without excuse because creation reveals his eternal power and existence. But that's all creation reveals. If you want to know God, he has to reveal himself to you. He's given us his word to do that, and then it takes a move of his spirit within our minds and our hearts. This is exactly what he did with Moses. He went to Moses and, and he proclaimed his name to Moses so that Moses and the people of Israel would know who he was. In verses 8 through 12, David refers to and quotes to that statement in, in Exodus 34. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to excuse me, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever, nor does he deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, as far, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is the Lord. Does he ignore our sin? No. He removes it. He satisfied his own wrath. He gives us new life. 
He crowns us with his steadfast love so that, as he said to Moses in Exodus 34, and as we see revealed in the words and the teaching and the acts and the nature of Jesus Christ, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Verses 13 through 18, we see adoption. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are just dust. We are just dust from the earth. The Lord could have painted any picture here he wanted to as he breathed out this scripture through David. He could have presented himself as the king and us as the subjects. He could have presented himself as the master and us as the slaves. He could have presented himself as the owner and us as the property. He could have presented himself, himself as creator and us as creation. All of those would be true. But he presents himself here as father and us as his children. As our Father, he is compassionate. As our Father, he knows our weaknesses. As our Father, he knows that we are mortal and that our lives are gone in the blink of an eye. But as our eternal Father, his steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. It's really interesting. What he's saying is it's from eternity to eternity. It's almost like what he's saying is, look, God is going to love you with his steadfast love for all eternity. And when this eternity is over, which it can't be because it's eternity, but when this eternity is over, he'll love you another eternity. And when that eternity is over, he'll love you for another eternity. There can only be one eternity. It's what eternity means. If God says, I love you for multiple eternities, can you ever lose his steadfast love? No. No. That's the promise that we have. In spite of our earthly mortality, in spite of the fact that we, we are, are born and we blink and we're graduating from high school and we blink and our children are getting married and we blink and our grandchildren are graduating, his steadfast love never changes. He takes our sins and, and separates them as far as east is from, from west. That's a straight line. Those points never meet. I can imagine David, wherever he was in Jerusalem or wherever he was, standing up on the hill, looking east, out, out to the horizon, 40, 50 miles perhaps. And then turning and looking to the west, and at some points in Jerusalem, if the sun is just right, perhaps you could even see the Mediterranean because it's not that far away. And looking out over the sea and saying, I'm there and my sins are there. That's the steadfast love of our God. As we, as we just kind of wrap up these benefits a few minutes ago, I, I told you that there are two truths about these benefits from God. They're inseparable. They either all apply or none of them apply. And I think you see that now. 
you, you can't have the steadfast love of God and not be forgiven. You can't be redeemed by the Lord and yet not be healed by him. You can't have eternal life and not be his child. And second, they're, they're limited then to Christians. We don't get these things because we're Christians, right? We're Christians because, because we've received the, these things. These are definitive of what it means for you to be a Christian. You don't have to go seek them out. You don't have to figure out, how do I get this? How, does, how do I get this into my life? How do I have this truth? How do I get this gift? If you're in Christ, you've received it. It's yours. David, as he wrote these words, could, could just barely anticipate what they meant. We see them fulfilled in Christ. But like David, we can only anticipate their perfect fulfillment. We are forgiven, but our consciences have yet to be made perfect. We are healed, but there is much healing yet to come. We are redeemed, but our redemption will continue as long as we are in these bodies. We are loved, but we barely feel and know that love, and we doubt it. We are vindicated, but the world remains opposed to him and us. We have the full revelation of God and Jesus Christ, but right now we can only see dimly, like in a mirror. We are the children of the Father, but we're not yet living in the Father's house. Unlike David, we can see how these things are fulfilled. Like David, we are still waiting for the final completion. David says in his time, what must I do in light of these truths? And how much more does this apply to us? Bless the Lord. And David reaches out his imagination Ultimately, to all of creation, bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. That's all talking about that invisible, angelic realm. Bless the Lord. The first part of verse 22 says, bless the Lord, all his works and all in all places of his dominion. So bless the Lord, all of that non-living or non-sentient creation. Bless the Lord, all the angels. Now bless the Lord, all of creation. The animals, the trees, the oceans, the stars, the planets, the moons, the vacuum of space. Bless the Lord. Jesus was not being poetic when he said at the triumphant entry that if his people did not acknowledge him, the very rocks would cry out. If the angels and God's people stopped praising him, creation itself would explode into worship. 
David goes to this massive quantity, uh, uncountable number of angels, and then he goes to the vast expanse of the, of the universe, and then he brings it down to the smallest point he can, and he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is personal worship. My heart, my soul, the depth of my being. I am to recognize his benefits to me and make it my highest work to worship him and acknowledge him and extol him and exalt him. He hasn't just done these things for us. He's done these things for me. And I'm to acknowledge that. God hears all of us and he hears each of us. We together are a symphony and each of us individually is a soloist and he hears it all. Do you think that your voice is lost in the noise of the universe as you worship God? Men and women, we are the highest creation. Only we were created in the image of God. If the universe is a symphony of worship, mankind, saved mankind, is the soloists. We're the ones that the Lord is listening for. All of the masses of the stars and planets and galaxies combined do not equal your worship to the Father. He's poured out his steadfast love on us that we would love him and worship him from the depth of our being. And let's be encouraged in this world that distracts us in so many ways to remember him. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, we praise your name. I praise your name. I give you thanks. I give you thanks for forgiveness. I give you thanks for healing. I give you thanks for redeeming me. I give you thanks for crowning me with your steadfast love and mercy. I give you thanks for giving me eternal life. I give you thanks for vindicating me. I give you thanks for revealing yourself to me. I give you thanks for being my father. Lord, as we look to you, as we acknowledge you in, in every aspect of our lives. We ask that you would continue to remind us of your greatness and of your provision for us. You are worthy of all praise. Because of your love, we don't come to you hat in hand, begging for every scrap. You pour out your riches upon us in ways that we don't even comprehend and usually won't acknowledge. So remind us, Lord, by your Spirit. (coughs) We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.